As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello. Meg here, and it's just me today, but you're listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. It is Monday, July 26th, and it's match day minus one ahead of the final day of group stage matches at the Tokyo Olympics. I figured today's episode was the perfect time to actually take a step back and check in with everything else that has been happening at the same time of the Olympics. I mean, everything is happening all of the time. (laughs) That is what we come to expect from women's soccer, but a ton of news around the NWSL, plus the 28 U.S. women's national team players have filed their appeal in the equal pay lawsuit, and that's worth some time as well. Don't worry, I will still have a quick preview of tomorrow's games for you too. Before I get into it, you can subscribe to The Athletic for all of our women's soccer coverage and beyond, and there's always a deal for you at theathletic.com slash full-time. Let's start with the latest in the equal pay legal saga. This will be a relatively short version, at least my attempt at a relatively short version of the first step in the appeal from the players. If you want the full breakdown, my story from Friday is up at The Athletic, but here are basically the major beats. First, I do want to start with a quick refresher, though. Just a reminder that the 28 players who are now appellants in this case do not equal the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association, though of course there is some overlap of those players, but the PA is not a direct party to the lawsuit, though at the same time they are starting to wind up for CBA negotiations with U.S. Soccer since the current agreement ends December 31st. Yes, I know it's slightly confusing, but the equal pay dispute goes back decades really, but this particular version goes back to a complaint filed in 2016 with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission that was originally filed by five players, four are involved in this lawsuit, Hope Solo is the difference there, but then the EEOC granted the players the right to sue the Federation. That happened in March 2019. Last spring in May, the district court judge found mostly in favor of U.S. soccer, dismissing the equal pay complaint under both the Equal Pay Act, and Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, but let some working condition issues stand. The players and the Federation settled those in December of 2020. 
Along the way, we got some questionable legal strategies from U.S. soccer's legal teams, right, which also resulted in the resignation of President Carlos Cordero. And then former U.S. women's national team player Cindy Parlocone took over as president of U.S. soccer. That is (laughs) very, you know how you get those recaps of like previously on whatever show you're watching? That is an attempt at that. We'll see how successful it was. So anyway, the appeal. The legal team for the players filed their opening brief, and it hit a few key arguments as they ask the Ninth Circuit of Appeals to send the case back down to the district level because they want it heard by a jury. Now, the one that you really need to focus on deals with the rate of pay for the women's national team as opposed to the men's national team. So the players' legal team argues that the judge only considered total compensation that included payment for actually playing in matches but did not consider that the federation pays players to both play and win. But here's all three of their main arguments in one quote from this brief for you. The court reached that the surprising result by looking at total pay without accounting for the women's superior performance. In effect, the court held that pay is equal if a woman can obtain the same amount of money as a man by working more and performing better. That is not the law. The court also treated the women's collective bargaining agreements as somehow waiving their rights under federal law, which is flatly wrong, and discounted the women's direct evidence of discrimination, which the court is not allowed to do on summary judgment. Here are the money quotes, pun fully intended, I guess, on the pay rate argument, quote, specifically that the women had to be the best in the world to make about the same amount per game as the much less successful men, Plus, quote, the Federation pays the players not just to play, but to win. Now, from U.S. soccer side of things, here's the main quote from their statement regarding the actual appeal process. Quote, in ruling in favor of U.S. soccer on the players' pay discrimination claims, the district court rightly noted that the women's national team negotiated for a different pay structure than the men's national team and correctly held that the women's national team was paid more both cumulatively and on an average per game basis than the men's national team. So that's just going to be an ongoing thing that we will be keeping our eyes on, but that's where we are right now on the appeal. Over to the NWSL, let's start with the new campaign from the Players Association called No More Side Hustles. Players have been sharing stories about the jobs that they've had to do on the side in order to afford playing in the NWSL as a professional soccer player, which isn't exactly new information, but organizing a campaign around it is obviously a big step, especially with collective bargaining underway for the first time between the NWSLPA and the league. Here's the description from the actual website for the campaign, and you can see more at nomoresidehustles.com. So soccer is one of the most successful professional women's sports in the United States, but despite an increase in TV ratings of over 493% in the last year, a drastic gap in minimum salary remains. One third of all NWSLPA members make the league's minimum salary of $22,000 per year. 75% make $31,000 or less. For comparison, the WNBA set their salary minimum at $58,710. The National Women's Soccer League is in its ninth season with 10 teams and two expansion teams scheduled for 2022. NWSLPA will not wait another decade to achieve fair contracts, equal pay, and professional playing conditions. Our goal is to set the global standard and ensure that a career in NWSL becomes a viable professional career choice in the years ahead. So we'll be keeping an eye on that one as well. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Now, it's been rumored for a while, but we did finally get confirmation of the coaching shakeup in Orlando with Mark Skinner departing from Manchester United Women. On Saturday, assistant coach Carl Green was on the sideline as interim head coach before he also departed as well. And as I reported on Friday, the team has added Becky Burley as a more long-term solution for the manager role, bringing her in to see out the rest of the season and allowing the club time to get the coaching hire right, especially as Orlando has also just finished up the actual transfer of ownership for the Pride and Orlando City to the Wolves. A lot happening in Orlando there, and I think it's been a tough ask for the players over the past couple of weeks with all of this going on. So hopefully Burley, who had a, a long, successful career with the Florida Gators, can bring some stability. We also had a big trade in the end of Bussell as well last week between uh, Kansas City and North Carolina with Amy Rodriguez and $60,000 in allocation money heading to the Courage in exchange for Kristen Hamilton, Haley Mace, and Kaitlin Rowland. Then to make things even weirder, the two teams immediately played each other. That one ended in a 0-0 draw with Rodriguez and Hamilton making the starting 11s just right off the bat. I do think it's worth the extra minute here to read what Kristen Hamilton said after the game. After Steph Young from here at The Athletic simply asked her how she was doing, here's her answer. Yeah, it's emotional. It's tough. I mean, I think that nobody expected it to be able to pack up in a day and leave a team that I've been with for six years. You know, I think it was tough for Amy. It was tough for all of us. Kate's been here a long time. Mace, I don't think she ever thought she was going to leave the courage. I mean, it's tough. It's weird. It's kind of shitty. Sorry. Excuse my language. This is how our league works, and this is how we're treated, and this is what we're expected to do. It's tough. It's emotional. But I'm excited to be here. Like I said, it's bittersweet. Just had to try to embrace being a part of Kansas City today, and that's what I want to do going forward and not dwell on the fact that I'm no longer with the courage. It's a team. It's a new opportunity for me to show what I can do. All right. <laughs> we will. There's going to be a lot of discussion about NWSL free agency on The Athletic. This is going to be one of the stories of the back half of the season as they try to figure these out, along with collective bargaining with the NWSL Players Association. A lot of this is happening quietly behind the scenes right now, but I think there will be more pressure from players in public like this to really start to have these conversations and start to figure out a better answer. Okay, finally, just a quick check-in on the NWSL table as these games keep happening with Portland staying in the number one spot thanks to Sophia Smith's goal in the first minute for the win over Houston, then Gotham FC sliding into second place after a win over the Chicago Red Stars. The top spots are all still super close with the Spirit in third on 18 points, Chicago in fourth with 17, the Courage also on 17 points in fifth place, and Houston just edging out Orlando, both with 16 points for sixth. 
Orlando at seven, then the rain for all of their up and down results are still firmly in the hunt for a playoff spot at 13 points. Louisville right behind them with 11, and then finally Kansas City still looking for that first win of the season in last place with four points off their four draws. Okay, Olympics. <laughs> Final day of the group stage coming up tomorrow and a lot to play for with only two teams actually clinching for the, the quarterfinals between Sweden and Team GB. And listen, I, for, I just want to warn you that this is going to be one of the worst days yet for overlapping games. Here's the schedule for the day. I will give you how to watch the U.S. Women's National Team match here in the States in a minute. But for every other game, your option really is going to be streaming via NBCOlympics.com or the NBC Sports app. Here's what tomorrow morning looks like. USA versus Australia at 4 a.m. Eastern and at the exact same time, New Zealand versus Sweden. Then at 7 a.m. Eastern, the two matches for Group E kick off with Canada versus Team GB and Chile versus Japan. And then finally, this means four overlapping games since Group F matches kick off at 7.30 a.m. Eastern with the Netherlands playing China and Brazil playing Zambia. As for the U.S. Women's National Team, while Steph and I discussed this after the New Zealand game on full-time, truly the thing I am absolutely watching for is how they shut down Sam Kerr. There have been defensive lapses on the USA back line. Sam Kerr has been ruthless at making runs on the back shoulders of center backs and really good ones too, like Magdalena Eriksson, her own Chelsea teammate. So I just, this is not a guaranteed result here, okay? <laughs> now in Sunday night's media availability, head coach Flacco Andonofsky said that Australia is a very organized and disciplined team with an incredible roster and some great individual players. We all know this. As he said, quote, we're well aware of it and understand that this is going to be a really, really tough game for us. We've got to stick to who we are. We've got to be aggressive. We've got to be intense. We cannot allow them to dictate the pace of the game, the tempo of the game. So we've got to defend on our front foot and we've got to be aggressive in the attack and going forward. If you'd like to start thinking about all of the various scenarios for what comes next for the U.S. Women's National Team, depending on if they finish second or third in Group G, we are generally assuming Sweden is going to get a result against New Zealand. Steph mapped out all of those scenarios for the U.S. in the knockout rounds, plus where they could meet Sweden again in the tournament that's up on the athletic. Finally, 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 here's how to watch USA versus Australia in the United States. Remember, you're either getting up at 4 a.m. or staying up until 1 a.m. if you're on the East Coast to watch it live. Though thanks to the miserable timing of this one, there will be delayed repeats on television as well. Every single one of these three broadcasts is going to be on the USA Network. So live is 4 a.m. Eastern, and then the replays are at 10 a.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Eastern. Okay, thanks for tuning in to our Olympic coverage here at Full Time with Meg Linehan. And you can follow all of our Olympic coverage at The Athletic, and you can support our women's soccer coverage by subscribing at theathletic.com slash full-time. Full-time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. I'm Meg. Thanks for listening. Steph and I will be back with you tomorrow after this final day of the group stage, and I think that there will also be a bonus episode of those of this podcast for you this week with a special interview, so keep your eyes out and ears out for that as well and one last thought you know subscribe to the full-time wherever you listen to your podcast so you never have to wait for an episode to hit your feed okay that's it i promise until tomorrow i hope you are all very well caffeinated <laughs>